But I gotta say, you both look great and refreshed. I don't think I'm refreshed. I had the best summer. Did you? Yeah. What were the uh, highlights? Three. Three highlights? Tons of tennis. Played tons of tennis. You know, they say that people who play racket sports live longer. It's science. Okay. It's I true. Don't like understand any type why of, that would be specific to racket sports. Yeah, right? some sort of some sort of movement that you do when you play racket sports that that helps some sort of blood flow of shit or whatever. Don't ask me. I don't know what I'm. You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm on a new one, Brian, where I'm doing sprints on the treadmill. Do you have a okay. treadmill? Yes. Uh, that's what I need. We don't use. I'm maybe it also, I'll start using it now. It's one of those Peloton ones. It's kind of groovy. Oh my god, you guys got the Peloton one? Why did you fall for that branding? It's well, just a treadmill, you realize, right? Except it has a big screen and it has all that comes with all the programming and all that stuff. Programming. You know, if you need programming, you're not made for the treadmill. The treadmill is a test of mental fortitude. The best treadmill is facing a wall. You should just look at a wall and think about your soul and what you've done wrong in life. Uh, Brian, it sounds a little bit like... um, Like Catholic school. I suffered, so you have to suffer. Have you ever fallen off a treadmill? Yeah. I got spit out the back one time when I was trying to watch a TV in the basement. That's why I just stare at the wall. All right, let's talk about assholes. I did a lot of like casual reading, but one of the the things I was reading was this Wall Street Journal excerpt of your friend Elon Musk, the biography that Walter Isaacson is about to come out with. And I think it's going to ignite a conversation across a few different vectors, but one of which is, do you have to be an asshole to succeed? I, I was thinking like when reading this is... The details are different with the, what did you get done this week? And he talked about meeting with Parag Agrawal, the former CEO who we fired and tried to take away his severance, which is an asshole move, I believe. And he talked about how he was, he was too nice of a guy. He was like, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's too nice of a guy. What, what Twitter needs is a... I, to be clear, I don't think it was severance. I think it was like a $50 million stock allocation, just to yeah, be clear. Yeah, it's severance. Yeah. On no planet should that guy have gotten $50 million. But oh my yeah. God. I yeah. see whose side you're on. Okay, whatever. I'm just saying that he he acted in yeah, what, but... we'll talk about whether it was an asshole move or whatever. Okay. Anyway, I think it, this book is going to have all kinds of nuggets for the fanboys and it's going to have all kinds of nuggets for the people who can't stand Elon Musk and in between. I'm interested in how he actually manages these companies because it, in reading through the details, it's different, but it reminds me of the 80s and 90s. And when I was growing up, I remember, do you remember... Al Dunlop, he was Chainsaw Al, and he came in and he cut 12,000 jobs at Scott Paper in Philadelphia, and he ended up making $100 million, which at the time was way more because he sold it to Kimberly Clark, and he reveled in this reputation. And it was at the time that Donald Trump was rising, and Donald Trump, I think, and Elon Musk, there was a great Sam Harris podcast, are, one could argue, quintessential assholes. And I oh, think- that- what. No, I was just saying, no, 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 no. That, that Sam Harris podcast is a must listen. We have to absolutely yeah. link. It's incredible. I, I'm, I'm on a Sam Harris kick. Mm. I think I think the world needs more Sam Harris podcasts than a few. Me too, except he's podcasts. really he's really anti having a fireplace in your house. And that's the only way we can get rid of excess wood here. So no, no, no. We'll have to deal with that another you're day. Such an, you're such an asshole. Troy, do you remember when we wrote a profile of you and we called you brusque and you complained to me? Yes. <laughs> 
You said it was another way to say asshole. Yeah, but it's taken me a long time, but I'm coming to terms with myself. It's good. We're all in a process of becoming. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so let's 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 start definitionally. Troy, how do you define an asshole? Like, like something that poop comes out of. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I um I don't know, someone who's mean unnecessarily, who does things that are rooted in you could deconstruct all the ways or all the reasons that someone's an asshole. I don't think we have to start at that level, but it's probably someone who hurts people unnecessarily in pursuit of a goal or out of just deep narcissism or some type of other insecurity. And in so it just, I think lack of regard for others is probably how I would think about it. Okay. So it's intent based. Is it, does it matter with intent? Yeah. I think it's intentional cruelty, right? Specifically or lack of regard. I mean, it doesn't have to be full on cruelty. It is intent. Okay. So it's intent based because I think sometimes you, you can like, you have all these euphemisms, hard charging is one, <laughs> and and it sort of gives people a pass. I think lately with, with people like Elon Musk, there's this idea that they're quote unquote on the spectrum and that's a sort of get out of asshole jail card. I don't know if that matters or anything, but I guess one of the things that I'm interested in is, is this effective? Because I think everyone wants to think that every company is like, we have a no assholes policy. It's like, oh my God you and every single other person. But at the same time, and I think Sam Harris points this out, the world is full of assholes. And that perhaps is why people gravitate to some people who are like Elon Musk and Donald Trump. Is there such a thing as a lovable asshole? I think they're a rogue. Hmm. I think a lovable well, asshole is a rogue. I think it depends on the on the industry, right? Like definitely chefs and cooking have, have these kind of personas that are these kind of jerks that you know, yell, but it's all in kind of this the Gordon Ramsay thing. The Gordon Ramsay thing, which yeah. he's kind of the lovable asshole, and so was the guy from like what was like American Idol or whatever, where people enjoyed his bluntness. Because I, I think there is a place for being blunt and kind of a jerk when you're trying to elicit some sort of like energy from a team, right? Like it's kind of the the drill sergeant type thing. And I, I do think people enjoy watching that. Maybe they don't enjoy being people receive it. Sometimes they do. I know that I've had interactions with people who were maybe more cutting in their feedback. And I actually felt it was engaging and empowering in the end. But I don't know if that makes them assholes. I think it just makes them um, brusque. well played yeah i mean i think more often than not asshole is a term thrown around by the weak to characterize hard charging leaders that do things that other people can't do in a negative light or to skewer them in the media as you might have done in the past brian and their determination and sometimes the kind of inability to suffer mediocrity or fools or whatever gets labeled as asshole behavior or their impatience, or maybe they just lack some sort of grace. And as a result, they're called assholes. I think there are leaders that push towards a goal, that rally people, that get people going, that challenge the people that say things like, this is hard, or we can't do it, or do you remember what it used to be like? Those kinds of people that charge at that can do it without being assholes. But there's a very, very high degree of overlap between people that are characterized by assholes and as assholes and people that get things done. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's all perception, right? Because I think anyone who's maybe I mean I'm just speaking for myself. I've been called an asshole, and, and uh, well, you are an asshole. I mean, I mean, in a, you're a great guy, but like you can be an asshole. Okay, that's different. So let's let's actually unpack that because I think being an asshole is different than acting like an asshole every now and again. Like it's totally different to me, and maybe that's like ex and anyone yeah. who yeah, yeah, yeah. has high that. expectations is going to at some point in and again maybe that's just making excuses is going to be labeled an asshole by some people. Now you would call them weak or whatever like that. I wouldn't say that. I just think that it's a normal human dynamic, but then I'm not an asshole, so I wouldn't call them weak. Well, I mean, I think it's it's all contextual though, right? I feel like we have this new brand of, you know, I think we've all maybe have been called assholes or have done something that have might have ups, uh, provided feedback that might have been seen as mean or mean-spirited. But I think there's this asshole brand where people are enjoying the fact that there's someone in power that is often punching down, but it's punching down at a group of people that they don't like, right? So it's the Trump, the the Musk thing. I think they're kind of feeding off that thing where Musk is just punching down towards a bunch of people and attacking people that they don't like. So the asshole brand is like, yeah, they're an asshole, but they're my asshole, right? And I think they're capitalizing on that. It's like a, it's a level of shamelessness that most of us don't have. But like, I think there's the means to an end argument, right? So let's just stick with Elon Musk, right? He came into a situation that it seems like there was a lot of change that needed to take place. I mean, even in this article, I think Leslie Berland had talked about how we were definitely very high empathy, very caring and inclusion and diversity. Everyone needs to feel safe here. And he- That's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. <laughs> well, this isn't a daycare, man. We're a high empathy organization. What does that mean? Break that down for me. Me personally? And either of you. I mean, I, I, I want to toss this one to you, Alex. You're high empathy. I just got called an asshole by Troy. <laughs> so I, I, I have no expertise in this area. I mean, you're like, fuck, why can't people just be normal, man? I was there when that Steve Jobs book came out and a bunch of people in power started thinking that, oh, that's what's missing from my leadership style, being more of a jerk, you know, because there's that whole line where, you know, somebody steps into a room and he just asks loudly, like, has the IQ of this room gone down or is it just me? Like shit like that, you know, and people connected his ability to see the future and get things done with being an asshole. And I think part of it was that he was not afraid to be unpopular, which is what I think great leaders have is like they can make unpopular decisions. But at the same time, on the flip side of the thing, it worries me when you tell people everybody can feel safe here. Sure, you have physical safety, physical and emotional safety, and you're not going to be harassed. But uh, that is also can be misconstrued for like, well, my job's safe forever and I will never get negative feedback. And I, I find that that language is so... Like, you know, Troy reacted, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Nobody can latch onto that. I think it's actually aggressive. I think it's more assholic than how you would characterize someone who maybe hurts some feelings, but, you know, states things in an, maybe an honest and very direct way. Sometimes they may make on the path there may, may something offhanded or joking or whatever, like your, your example. But just listen, if someone came in and said, we're definitely very high empathy, very caring about inclusion and diversity, everyone needs to feel safe here. I mean, those are words that I, I think in many cases are as damning as any other. Like, you're not like that. Yeah. Or it's, it's super, it feels super judgy to me. 
yeah, and there's a, but it also feels like they're covering their asses, which is always like. Oh my god, it's so San Francisco bullshit. It's just, uh, it's it really is nauseating. I think what's interesting about this, and the reason I wanted to talk about it was beyond just to get Alex to talk about Elon Musk again, is that I feel like pendulums always swing and the hard charging, like get things done executive gave way to the safe space caring. And I think the pandemic really just accelerated a lot of that. And now we're seeing a shift back in some ways. And you see this across many different areas. I think we're entering into a lot of industries, a more with less era, in which a lot of the stuff goes out the window by necessity because you have to have high functioning organizations. And sometimes in holding people accountable and having high standards, you're going to have a discussion about what is being quote unquote radical candor and what is being an asshole. This stuff, Brian, is part of that zero interest phenomenon that you talked about, where it was it was really like actually easier to just hire a bunch of people and make everyone feel like they would never receive any criticism. And actually, you know what's really hard for managers to do? Fire people give people bad feedback. You know, everybody thinks the boss class always wants to take people out, but I think it's way easier to to just make everyone happy, right? To be the kind of like the guy from the office. And now what we're seeing is that the pressures are going up into making these companies more profitable, right? And powering through the economy. <laughs> and, and a lot of that stuff is flying out the window because Silicon Valley, you know, has put out that brand of these soft-spoken safe spaces. What they're doing a lot of these companies kind of insidious because they're telling their managers hey we're we really want to be more focused on performance and you know we're not doing layoffs but we are changing our culture of performance saying hey we've been telling you to hire a bunch of people and treat them super like infantilize them treat them like babies but now we're seeing that there's like the bottom line is getting hit so we're gonna have you guys to start acting like bosses and firing people who are not performing and they're, they're pushing all these decisions down to managers who have not been educated and taught to be kind of bold in their decision and just let people go or give critical feedback. So there's a lot of turmoil right now happening in, in the industry. I'm hearing it from everywhere. It's really well, interesting. Uh, just you, know, you know who's not in trouble? Apple, because they've always been doing that shit. You know, doing never, what? Just being tough. Apple is a tough company to work at. They they don't yeah. they don't overhire they they're very leadership driven the executives make all the decisions it's very top yeah. down is they, Google they, on the other end of the spectrum is that their reputation yeah okay yeah yeah so so I just want to add something because there are leaders that I admire and I get to watch them deliver hard feedback and things that I've learned late in my career where before I might have been. I might not have paid enough attention to the way someone felt. I might not have listened to what they were saying carefully enough to really understand where they were coming from or to get a kind of level of insight that only really intent listening would have brought. And then to kind of reframe it with sensitivity to how they're feeling and say, I, I understand what you're saying, but you know, here's the situation we're facing. And I know this is your point of view, but what if we did this? Or what if we thought about this differently? Or do you appreciate how much change has to be made for us to get to a goal? So I think that there's a more mature way of being forceful that isn't like when I was, I mean, personally, when I was younger, I would have just like, I would have been more aggressive and, and that aggressiveness would have come from my fear and insecurity. 
And so I'm finding that I'm kind of trying to flip the world around and look at it from the, the perspective of the other person while still driving towards a goal or being tough or being kind of uncompromising. And so I think that that journey is the journey of the sort of asshole to more benevolent but aggressive leader. And that's what I personally would aspire to. I like and it. I've seen it. Benevolent in, asshole. I've seen it in good leaders. So I think that there is there is the possibility to be really, really demanding without making people feel bad. Just, just, and I think, Brian, uh, I, I mean, you've not, you, yeah, Brian, you've never worked directly with Troy, but Troy is actually a very good leader. And I've enjoyed working with him more than a lot of people because of the fact that he could provide real feedback, which I think is that being nice and, and not actually providing any value is not great for somebody's career. And I think yeah. Troy was one of the people that pushed me in my career more than anyone. And Troy, I got to tell you, I've spoken to at least like six or seven people that have worked with you in the past, and they have all told me the same thing, that they felt that working with you has, has made them better. So I do I feel think that there's, a, there's at least 10 of them, Alex. I think... I think there's probably 10. <laughs> but, you, you know, I But think I have also seen you be really hard on the people that you're closest to, Alex. Well, Alex, I'm interested in how you, because I always thought the most sensitive creatures to give feedback to were like designers. Like they're very sensitive. And you always had a, like, I really like what you did here, but, and then just like say it's total crap. Alex isn't really, I don't think he's hard on people like that. I think he's hard on the people he expects a lot from. Okay. Well, yeah. I hope that's what most people... Like want. you're hard on Adrian, Alex. Yeah. Well, you just have to give feedback and the work isn't good. And I have been blunt. And it never feels good. But, uh, you know, I always, I always think about it for a while afterwards. But the feedback I've had is that people felt the worst when they felt I was disappointed. I'm not going to be somebody who, who kind of yells out, this is shit. I'll kind of be more despondent. And if this is the best we can do, what are we going to do? Like, that's my least favorite way of acting. When I'm more directive with Surrender my Surrender to mediocrity. Think, is that what it is? Yeah, it's just like fully like disappointed. And so that's that's kind of like my negative trait when I become despondent. But actually, I'm, I'm a little bit more forceful with my feedback and more directive. I think it's, it's really good. And a lot of people that I've worked with for a long time have received this type of feedback from me. And Troy is right. Like the more I expect from people, the, the harsher I will be. You know, when I joined Airbnb, it was very fast growth, a completely new culture for me. You know, I was moving in from the digital media space, you know, hanging out with, <laughs> with a bunch of journalists and salespeople. And the tone at Airbnb definitely softened down. People were very nice to each other. But still a high performance. But we did struggle a little bit with understanding, like, people were using the term family, I think, a little bit too freely. And I wanted to be called a team because you don't fire people from your family, usually. And I think we ended up building a really good culture. But I do think Silicon Valley has built a culture of people where that we're not building the best, most performant people. And I noticed that now as I'm trying to help a lot of startups hire people. It's a bunch of people who've never done anything substantial, released really critical feedback or fired people who have gone through hard times, right? They've joined Facebook when it was doing well. They left Facebook as it was doing well. I think there's a little bit of that missing. That doesn't excuse what Elon did at Twitter. Like I'm not, you know, that's very different. Yeah. But I do, I do think a lot of it does emanate from Silicon Valley. And this recent era, pretty much all trends at work or business related have come from Silicon Valley. I feel like there's been a ton of pattern matching when Google started the campus and the infantilization and all that stuff like this. I promise you, at the risk of being like an old guy, we did not have snacks in the office. The private equity guys did not give us snacks at Hadweek. 
And I brought snacks in to Digiday, I'm proud to say. And one of my most negative Glassdoor reviews, it was just like horrible experience this person had. But then the like pros, they said free snacks. So. <laughs> Look, I don't want to see like throw out the baby with the bathwater here. A lot of the innovation around workplace, around the environment and the workplace that Silicon Valley invented is great. I think it's nice that people have better working environment, more perks. Fuck, we spend a lot of time at work. It's nice that people feel safe and that women aren't treated in, in ways that they were like only like a decade or so ago. I mean, it's not perfect, but it definitely there was an effort to be done there. But it has turned into this idea that at least there's a concept that there's an infantilizing happening, that people are being treated like babies. And that opens up an avenue for people like Musk to come in and say, I'm going to come in and punch the shit out of these people, right? There was like a celebration of him going in and kicking out all of these soft nerds out of Twitter. You know, no, like, is that true though? Yeah. Is it true? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. no, but I mean, here's the thing. When one calls someone an asshole, or rather reframes it as an aggressive manager or someone facing a very difficult organizational transformation situation, whatever you want to call it, it's important to get an understanding of the environment, the trade-offs, the nature of the people there, the culture you have to change, sure. how you have to... People inside of Twitter were writing things like that and thought they were acceptable. Right. Hang so, on. So I'm writing not, things like what? Look, I was for completely refactoring how Twitter worked. No, no problem with that. I think it was done with a mean spirit from the day he stepped in the door. That's what I'm saying. It was done. The, the spirit of it, the context of it, the, the execution. So wait, you're saying that you wouldn't that be against like, what he did if he just like did a shit sandwich? No, no. I think he should have walked in and says, this company has been badly run. We've hired way too many people. And we're going to have to cut this in half. Now, lots of people are going to lose their job. It sucks. I'm sure we're going to lose a lot of great people. But here's what we got to do, right? Instead, you know, you know he went in and, and acted... So it's just Pretty. stylistic. I mean, I don't know. That's what he's saying. I think most. Yeah. It's stylistic. Yeah. And yeah. Why? It depends on your intent. Like we've all had to fire people. I think at some point, and you could have done this in a way that was empathetic. And I know it sucks. Or you could do this in a way that, like, you come across like you're relishing the fact that you're letting a bunch of people go. And that I think is just like it's not very nice. <laughs> I just think that's it. Trey, you said, then we'll move off this. Do you have some more sympathy for the? It seems like if I could read in. Well, one of the things comments. I liked about the Isaacson excerpt in the Wall Street Journal is because it's book length and because he spent a lot of time on the inside, you start to see both sides of things, mm -hmm. right? And you start to see, well, how Musk took 9% and then he labored over it. And then he thought that it could be a payment and communications platform early on. And then he realized he couldn't make the change through his board seat through who he saw as an effective CEO. And then he stepped up his position and then he felt like he was getting jacked. So in the sort of spirit of a rich guy warrior, he said, I'm going to fuck them back and take away their severance. And so you just start to see the whole story. And one of the biggest challenges in any of the, in this corporate reporting is a lack of nuance around the trade-offs and realities of what the leader is facing. 
Oh, totally. And, and, I, and I find that all the time. So I always liked you, Brian. And I used oh, to yeah. come in and sit on the podcast and talk to you where you knew at Digiday. And you're sort of intrepid leader of one of these businesses. And you say, well, we're going to do affiliate. And you would sort of roll your eyes just because you heard affiliate 50 times that week. And it was the innovation du jour that everybody was working on. And you would be entirely dismissive. Well, but, but how are you really going to save this? Job. Okay, right. That's your job. But I think that what happens is the one side that's trying to do whatever you can to save slash build slash refactor a company, get rid of people, find new people, come up with new ideas, face extreme headwinds. And then on the other side, you have someone that looks at what you're doing and says, oh, that's cute. Like, yeah, good luck with that. And what I'm saying is, is that the truth is more often somewhere in the middle of really, really hard change agenda. And we're all sort of imperfect as we navigate those. And, and I just, I really appreciate journalists. And I'm not saying you're not one of these, but that sees- Why is it about me? It's not about you, but just sees the complexity in no, what has I, to so happen in a situation like I, that. I totally agree with you on a lot of levels, leaving me out of it. But I think I would always counsel reporters because sometimes I would read the stories because there was an era particularly started with Trump with the it used to have that I forget what the paragraph called it was like we spoke to 37 current and former employees it's just like uh oh and there's gonna be a bunch of bad shit that comes afterwards and let's right. face it 25 were the found classic insider profile that you, it's easy to find people saying negative things about anything and that was a genre of story and what I would always say is the truth is way more complex and it is always like a very messy because humans are messy. Humans are very contradictory. And I would often think, you know, honestly, in editing stories, I'm like, oh my God, what if this story was done in this organization? <laughs> like, it could come out like all sorts of craziness, which in reality, it was just a mix, like everything. But it's right. Good, it's or it's bad. like I noticed it the other day, to be honest, and I did talk to someone about this inside of the organization that Matt Bellamy had gone on his podcast and said, everybody's leaving Scooter Braun's organization, right? Look, he must be out of his mind. Talent seemingly doesn't want to stick around anymore. And look, they're all fleeing. And it just struck me. And he had someone on the podcast, this woman who used to be an editor, music editor at the Rolling Stone. I can't remember her name that said, actually, that's not the story. There's much more to it than that. There's changing business priorities. And actually, Scooter Braun has, you know, the talent relationships sometimes expire over time and that he's beloved by many of the people he's worked with and all of this. And I just felt like sometimes we're really quick to look for the villain in the narrative. Oh, this! Oh, you sure, should man. listen to the podcast I just did with Puck co-founder John Kelly, a, a listener of this podcast. John, hopefully you're listening. Because we talked about this heroes and villains. Because I, I was talking, we were talking about how Puck has main characters. In some ways, you know, Zaz and... and well, that's their media. That's their strategy. They're brilliant. John's a brilliant guy, yeah, by the way. He's but like, so Michael Wolf, I remember, he, I worked with him very briefly. He had said, he was like, it's heroes and villains. Find the heroes and find the villains. And that, in some ways, is the flaw of journalism to some degree. It's the storytelling. When I hear storytelling, I'm like, uh-oh. Because storytelling is usually, it's narrative. And in order to have a, a narrative, you need to sand off the inconveniently rough edges. And things become simplified in narratives, for sure. Yeah, but I, I wonder... 
just when you're talking about people like Elon, the way I look at it is not the act itself, but you know, how much energy do you dispense to get to where you want to be? So for example, if you're looking at an animal like a leopard that eats a baby gazelle, right? You could say, well, that's kind of cruel, but it isn't because it's eating. If you see a, an animal that's torturing, like a cat torturing a mouse for hours, right? That is cruel. And I think that when Wade, I, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm getting, I'm getting some. I think I'm getting Troy and I are I'm too New York for this stuff. I, the cat's just being right. a cat. Yeah, okay, cat's just being a cat. The thing is, there was an element of showboating, of reveling in the pain and discomfort of others, in taking extra steps to promote the pain that you're inflicting. There's this thing in in wrestling. The bad guy always kind of like showboats before he's about to punch the guy in the nuts, right? And I think there was this promotion there, of number being of times a jerk. talked about punching, uh, getting punched in the nuts. <laughs> well, 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 but, but the thing is, like that narrative around somebody like Elon wasn't created by the press that needed a villain. Like he set it off. He made sure that part of his narrative was, "I am doing this in a way that is exceptionally cruel. I will attack somebody on Twitter, like my friend Hallie. I will do this." and expose people's names and addresses and, and expose them to my rabid fans. Like, that's fucking mean, man. That's like jerk behavior. That's not the media choosing a villain. The media was like fawning over him, thinking he was the greatest hero we'd ever seen. He was like man of the year three times in a row or something. This is very different. This is about figuring out that you can become very popular by being someone's asshole. He hurts the people we don't like which is very different. It's different to the guy from CNN being like made out to be a villain because he did whatever. Or, Who, or, or watch. Oh, no, he was. Yeah, just... yeah. Or, or, you know, I was watching the Blackberry movie. They have that kind of like sense of, did you see that? It's great. No. The Blackberry movie. No, it's, it's fantastic. And it, it pits these two kind of co-CEOs as v villains and, and it has a little bit of turnaround and that's fine, right? But I think in, in this case, I think there's a new breed of people. I mean, it's not new, it's strong men who like promote themselves as being assholes, but towards a group that you don't like. So that's fine. And it actually helps them. And the media doesn't know how to respond to that, I think. Hmm. I think we've, are we good on the assholes? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds, <laughs> just it sounds like I shut down this conversation by- with No, my, not at all. I just think it was good. With my cat analogy. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm pro cat. Cats should do what cats do. Yeah, just like somebody like- They've been torturing like, mice since the beginning. I'm not saying the mice, does it. it's just- you're pro cat, choice pro Elon, and you want to move on. <laughs> I want to move on to, well, I don't know if this will work. We'll see. It's a little bit about, and, and in the same way of the complexity of it, optimism and pessimism when it comes with AI in particular, because I, I have been going on this little Sam Harris kick and he had a great conversation recently. I, I got sold on him when he had the conversation with Mark Andreessen and sort of allowed Mark Andreessen enough rope to, to hang himself as not a very thoughtful person, smart person, but not a very thoughtful person. Oh, that's that a, a must listen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, that, those are great interviews. And it was funny because he, he, Mark Andreessen clearly came on and just thought he was just going to swagger his way through it. And he got hit with a shovel and that was great. But he had on Mustafa Suleiman, who was the co-founder of DeepMind. I didn't know this guy before, this Mustafa, but he's very thoughtful. I, I feel like, and in a very non, he's, he's British. And so he's not like an American. And I think Americans are often a little simplistic in how they approach things. No, and, you know, I think, I think what you guys do is for some reason, anybody with a British accent sounds 20% more intelligent. Well, I mean, every, anyone who's been into an ad agency knows that that is true. Yes. 
All the strategists are, are British, I find. Any case, he had on Mustafa Suleiman, and this guy's very, very steeped in the issues, obviously, of AI. And someone like Mark Andreessen just hand waves doomers. They're just doomers. They're pessimists. It's the the quote unquote media is just trying to and all the. He was very thoughtful, I thought. And I, one part, I actually stopped and I wrote it down. Something he said. And he said, we have to be focused on those downsides and not be afraid to talk about them. When I bring up these topics over the years, there's this pessimism aversion. People who are constitutionally unable to have a dark conversation about how things may go wrong. I'll get accused of not being an optimist, like that's some kind of sin. Or being a pessimist or optimist is a good way of framing things. Both are biased. I'm just observing the facts as I see them. And I think this is true for AI, but I think it's true for like any area in which there are thorny challenges. And again, I don't think it fits in with our neat narratives. And I think AI is going to, in particular, challenge the the neat narratives, good or bad. I don't know. What do you think on this, Alex? Mm, me? I think that media and social media is optimized around taking sides. And one of these sides can be optimism and pessimism around technology. And I think it is absolutely the wrong way to look at it because I get equally frustrated with people who are saying everything's going to go to shit and people are saying, no, everything's going to be great. Because it's like, it's not a useful conversation, right? That Andreessen interview was infuriating because he's the guy signing the checks. And so the problem is that it's not very interesting to have these conversations. You're never going to have viral tweet that starts with, well, it depends, <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, like nobody gives a shit about that. And I'm not blaming the media for it. I just think that we, we are being pushed into sides and the more, you know, the pessimism side starts having an argument that kind of resonates, the more the optimists feel like they have to counter it. And that's, it felt like Andreessen was really on a defensive, like he had heard all these things and he had, he was ready to denounce all of them without any understanding of what could go on because he doesn't know and none of us do. So I always thought like we all should be shades of realism. I think being optimistic can be an energy you can put out into the world. It's like more of an intention. So I try to put optimism out as an intention. I want things to turn out well, so I will try to make things to turn out well. Because I think if you think too much like a pessimist, that's what's going to take over. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, the AI stuff is way too important to have these stupid ass conversations like Andreessen did. He's probably never going to invest in my company now, is he? <laughs> <laughs> He follows, I mean, me. All... he follows me on Twitter. I haven't been blocked by him. That's he blocks great. everyone, apparently. Although you can't do that anymore, right? Who yeah. wants to be a pessimist anyway? I mean, it's not really about... Those aren't yeah, the no, Pessimism is just right? a label that like it's... self-proclaimed optimists throw around to anyone who actually questions the things yeah. that they're marketing. See, you can't build new things in the world that have not been seen without optimism. Because you have to believe that you know data that you don't have that something interesting will reveal itself. And that comes from, I think, a, a deep belief in both yourself and people around you and that things are going to turn out positively. So in that context, optimism is a good thing. Where I see optimism go bad in a corporate setting is that when people rely on it without being strategic or critical. That happened to me today, actually, where we were looking at a customer acquisition strategy for a company and the person said, well, we just have to start. We have to be optimistic about this. And it's that kind of we'll do it and we'll skin our knee and we'll learn and all that. But it was like the strategy was wrong, right? So being optimistic is fine. 
but it required an amount of real critical analysis in advance of, of that core optimism. So I, I just think you can't be a builder without optimism, but the best ones know where to point that optimism is how I would yeah. look at it. Part of the issue though is, is that those stories of like unstoppable optimism in the face of all these realities that kind of like hit you in the face, but you surpass and you build this billion dollar companies is the entire like myth building of Silicon yeah. Valley. Like that's the whole story. Like every grifter built- was, was a, was a card carrying and loud optimist. Right. I mean, every right. single one from Silicon Valley was, so I and guess it's, it's, and it, but to me, like curi- what you're talking about, like the way you're defining is more, you have to be curious and you yeah you have to be optimistic that things can change you can't be like a a, i don't know a nihilist or something like this but i just feel like it's in particularly it can sometimes within companies be weaponized it's like i'm an optimist you're a pessimist and it sometimes can be used as cover for not doing the critical thinking and Mm -hmm. a lot of i've seen in companies one of the big risks is that it gets to a point where nobody will point out things that are screwed up and bad and the reason they won't is because a culture develops that says that if you point out the downsides or things to consider that this is not the right way to go, mm-hmm. then you're a pessimist. You know? Yeah, or it's yeah. usually pointed at like Jimmy in IT who has to do all the work when the optimists fuck him and he has to do something useless at the end of the line and yeah. he becomes the pessimist. AdOps is the home of pessimists. They get they get a lot of shit. <laughs> That's how you end up with a Cybertruck. I think, think Cybertrucks, we can we talk about the Cybertruck? No, no. I, 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 I just wanna just one last thing. The way we were I would try to do things is to take this from improv of all things. I think in a company, especially when you're in that stage where you're dreaming about the future and you're trying to come up with stuff, you don't want people to just say yes or just say no, right? And I think it's it's the idea of saying yes and. Yes, and here's how we're going to do that, or here's how long this is going to take. And I do think that there's the pessimist in the room, and sometimes it's the IT guy that just says, this is not possible. This is not possible. We can't put the keyboard on the screen. This is not possible. We can't possibly like put electric motors in a car or whatever that is. And I do think that there's a, a place for these people, but it's also how you communicate some of these things. So I always, I always ask these people to go, including our good friend Adrian, Troy, to say, well, next time, just yet. <laughs> Yes, and this. Say yes, and it's going to cost us a million dollars and take 10 years. Yeah, you that know, actually came up on, on the that My First Million podcast with, with Samir, Colin and Samir. And he, he talked about spending a lot of time with Mr. Beast. And one of the big surprises of that, I don't know, surprise, but his big like takeaway was how relentless he was in just persistently and not in an asshole way, pushing why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? And he talks about when Mr. Beast Burger, when they had like 20,000 people at American Dream Mall in New Jersey, and they were like, we can't possibly feed all these people. And he's like, why? We can do that. What if, what if we did this? What if we did? And he just wouldn't take. And ultimately, they did find a way around this. And it was all through his dogged persistency and perseverance. Yeah. And actually pushing to find a solution where the reality is a lot of people would just be like, that's oh, not possible. I've been called, and I hate being called an optimist because it, it makes you sound like you're not thinking things through. And I sometimes feel like my perseverance is confused for optimism. Because it's not that I think everything is going to work out, but I'll, I'll keep pushing through when they don't. And I like people who think like that. And so I actually don't get along well with pessimists. Except Adrian. Well, you know, he grounds me. 
<laughs> I, I have the theory. You know, I think 80% of pessimists are, and people labeled pessimists are not actually pessimists. That's my theory. I think it's a role I, because I spoke to those IT guys and I, I'm lucky to have been part of both worlds. I'm technical, but I'm also on the design side. And, and a lot of people say like, I don't want to be that guy. But if I'm not that guy, nobody's going to say this. And so therefore it becomes my role to be the guy that says no or the guy that like slows things down, right? And I do think that you do need that guy and you need to listen to them, but people also need to learn. Working in a company is how to learn how to influence people and make sure that your point comes across in a way that is compelling for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we're not really teaching that as well. But to go back to your point, like on a team, I, th I like your concept of a team because on a team, there's, there's different players and they play different positions and they have different roles. Like not everyone on a basketball team, is their role is to like shoot the ball from three point. Some people need to set picks. Some people need to get rebounds. And when you have a team, you need different people who bring different things to the table. And show me a company with solely people who are card-carrying, self-proclaimed optimists. And it's probably a company that isn't asking enough critical questions, if you ask me. So yep, sure. there's, there's roles for everyone. And Troy, this, this, this is a segue to the cyber truck that Troy really wants to talk well, about. Well, I want to segue to that, but I want to segue to Burning Man. I'm just surprised you got out, Alex, but... I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't go. <laughs> Did you copter? Did you just like call yeah, up? We just talked to friends. We just, look, people love the schadenfreude of that thing. Don't go if you don't want to go. It's a hard thing to do, but if you do it and you do it with people you enjoy, you'll have a very fun, interesting experience. You'll get to experience art and music and all the bunch of shit that you want to do. And I think if people want to congregate in the desert and not bother anyone and have a good time, like we should let them. I'll partake in it once in a while. I won't do it every year. The drama was somewhat overblown. It was pretty dramatic scenes. Our friends said, you know, they were fine. It was a disappointment because a lot of things couldn't happen. There's a lot of canceled events because of rain. It's kind of disappointing seeing people like get so happy that people might be miserable. Like I never yeah, got I that. I, I think I like, think that's part of the backlash against Silicon Valley, but maybe not. Yeah, but there's a lot of different people going there. You know, and, like, and inequality because I think I think it's basically become synonymous with rich Silicon Valley people. Yeah, I, think. I know, but like but that's not a an intellectually honest argument, I'm, and people I'm just, know it. Hey, I'm just I'm, I'm not just saying supporting you do. I'm just, what's happening. I, I'm just. Saying don't that don't you, label me the pessimist. I haven't been to Burning Man, but I was never invited, and it's not really my thing. I don't like camping. You, you, you can buy a ticket. To, you, do you, can, you don't need to be invited, Brian. Oh, really? No, you can just go. Here's the thing. if you Listen, every event has a life cycle, and maybe Burning Man needs to morph into something new. But if you go to Burning Man, it's hard to not be struck by just the incredible display of human ingenuity. And it is, it's everything that Alex just said. It's, yeah, some people go there for kind of like the drugs and sex and being able to do things they can't otherwise do or whatever. But it's just like the art's amazing, interacting with people that bring things to this kind of non-commercial economy is great. I mean, it's just, it's just really fun. Yeah. And I, it strikes me that we live in a time when haters want to criticize anything in around the idea that you could use your time to do something more productive for the world or this th this isn't good for the world in some shape or form but i think that a bunch of people kind of expressing their human ingenuity and craft in the desert and having a good time is a wonderful kind of expression of just basic humanity and 
it's good as that's what it is. I mean, it's this isn't a trade off for building shelters for homeless people. Like these are not the same things. Yeah, there's a lot of that, that that's just going on. I think it's social media related. I, I just I remember like I I posted a photo of now like when I got back to New York, they now have the interactive maps and stuff like this, and they tell I was like, this is amazing. Things are getting better, and immediately I got they shouldn't be spending money on this until every single unhoused person is housed. I'm like, I think we yeah. should probably do both in in the richest city and the richest country in the world, but maybe that's me. But there is that knee-jerk reaction. And I think culturally with the backlash to Silicon Valley, I think it exists. It might, maybe it's just in the quote unquote media that that led to some of the, the schadenfreude about Bernie Man. I've got no issue with it. But it's, it's actually connected to our assholes conversation, right? Like when a lot of it is about, look, there's these people you don't like and something's happening to them that isn't great. And we're going to frame it in a way that is kind of, don't they deserve it? Everything's a narrative, right? Heroes, villains. We yeah. always like to see the comeuppance, like, haha, that's what you get. Get and like the um, fire festival, it was like that with the the influencers because there's an influencer backlash, and so when the yeah. fire festival happened, and a bunch of YouTubers were fighting over one peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a lot of people. I mean, that it. was that was a that was objectively hilarious, but I that's see your point. <laughs> I wonder if Troy thinks that's what's happening to the Cybertruck, that because of Elon, now people are ready to punch down in the Cybertruck. And I'm trying to keep a much more grounded perspective on this thing. Well, he's but, also uh, cutting cutting the price quite a bit, like on-, on That's incredible, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, I get, bet you a hundred bucks that you'll have one in two years on the ranch in Sonoma. No, never. I can tell you why, because I am actually in the market for a truck. Number one, it won't pull a trailer long enough and charging a car that pulls a trailer means you have to unhook why it. Why do you need to pull? Why are you pulling a trailer? Because what are you I, have doing? An, I have an Airstream. Or like, oh, you do know, you? Yeah. Really? Well, you can. I saw them pull a trailer. Why are you even out of Bernie, man? Oh, I have a five-year-old. That's why. The thing I is always I, thought it was weird when people brought five-year-olds to Burning Man, by the way. Why? Because of the orgies? <laughs> I've never been. No. Again, I've never been. No, look, Burning Man is 70,000 people. You can do a bunch of stuff and never be exposed to anything you don't want to be exposed to. You can, kids are actually a great time for kids. I, the reason I wouldn't bring kids is because I wouldn't want to have a different type of fun that I can't have with my kids. Also, it's 100 degrees during the day and like 40 at night. So it's not super fun if you're in a tent. But no, I can tell you why I think the, the Cybertruck, what seems to have happened is potentially, you know, just bad project management and leadership. If they had announced this thing as a concept car, you know, the way Mercedes and BMW does, that gives them an allowance to really tweak it before they make it roadworthy. It's like haute couture, right? Where you see like something coming down the runway, but what ends up in the store is really simplified. They wouldn't have gotten themselves in, in that much trouble. There are a lot of issues that, they're, that they had with, including having to add mirrors back, which they didn't. Just the overall kind of view from within the car, including the uh, windshield wiper that looks whack as hell and doesn't cover the entire window. And the bed being actually like quite small for most truck needs. It feels like a downgrade from what they showed. And I don't ever think that's really good for a brand to mm -hmm. like get people excited about something and then deliver something that's like 80, 70, 60% of it. But wait, um, is, isn't isn't that the entire Silicon Valley software development ethos, the, the fuck it, ship it? mentality and isn't that just applied right obviously like there's differences some, with cars but yeah i think there's differences software is easy to change and upgrade nobody remembers the version mm -hmm. that was there a year ago but cars are going to be on the road for a long time and the thing kind of looks whack now i don't know if you've seen no, the no, 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 but you you missed all of its virtues alex like 
What? It, well, the frame, the stainless steel, the fact that not everybody needs a huge truck bed that, you know. Well, you have a Rivian that does that. I mean, it's not it's not like well, it's innovating. The, the, uh, good luck. Buy the Rivian. There's probably a 50% chance that they go bankrupt. So there, I think Tesla is going to do just fine. I think it's overvalued, but the new Model 3 and stuff like that, they're all great cars. I just think that in this case, it looks like just from a project management, that was a product that was announced to great fanfare and the product that's being released is Alex, highly... Alex, do, like do you like the way it looks? No, I, I don't need to though because I actually appreciated that somebody was doing something different. Now, right. if that bumps into you, even going five miles an hour, it might cut you in half and I don't want, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think it doesn't look very comfortable to, to lean against, but, you know, who gives a shit? Like, it, people might like it. It does look pretty bro-y and militaristic, though, right? It does look like a little Robocop. Like, it reminds it's like me a of the Hummer. Remember the Hummer was popular yeah. for like three years? A lot of assholes got those. Tons. Yeah. No, it's it's going to be the new asshole car, but I'm just saying it's, <laughs> it's going to sell well. Because there's a lot of assholes out there. So I've been driving a Tesla for like four or five years now, and I've noticed that once in a while, there'll be somebody in a big in a big truck that would find me annoying just because I own a Tesla, I would kind of rev their engine next to me or just like blast me with some gas because like I was some cuck driving an electric car. And these guys must be so fucking confused right now because, but Elon, oh, you know, like these two symbols are conflicting in their brain. Completely breaking their brains. You should get a you should get a cuck bumper sticker. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's okay. That I I have this rule about like how I know if I'm in like a redneck area. I don't know if you can still say redneck. It's if someone will slow down to yell at me while I'm running, like usually some sort of slur. Like that happens in like redneck areas. Yeah. What do they say to you? How dare them? We don't want to get demonetized. Like there's a lot of people who own pickup trucks who are against like people running. It even happens in Pennsylvania, where I was living in Pennsylvania during the early pandemic, was right on the edge of Philly and like redneck Pennsylvania. Maybe they thought you were like a crackhead running from the scene of a crime. You can't say crackhead anymore. Yeah, no, I think it's more like for some reason, like having an electric car and going out for a jog was connected to being a liberal. And that's pretty much that's how smart the conversation is right now. So, all right. Do you want to leave it there? I'm fine with leaving it there. I think we covered so I think this much. is actually pretty good. Heroes, villains, and yeah. assholes. That's what I'm going to call it. Heroes, villains, and assholes. For a good product, I would say we got to okay. shout out to the US Open because it's a, it's a great tournament and it's extremely fun to go. I'm going back tomorrow and there's a match on right now. Do you know what I say about tennis? This is my theory about tennis. It is the sport for people who don't like sports. You do not find people who are passionate about the NBA and NFL who are also that's, generally. That's not true. That's definitely not Usually true. the people who are most into particularly the U.S. Open are people who don't like sports. Mm. Well, I can't wait for the NFL to start. I'm excited. <laughs> you're an exception like everything, Troy. Yeah, you're, you're an original. I'm just saying, if you go to the U.S. Open, a lot of those people are not sports fans. Have you been to the, have you been? To the U.S. Open? Not yeah. this year. I've been before. Wonderful. It's a oh, great sporting experience. I, I'll make you proud. I'm going to a sporting event this year. I'm Monster going to, truck? No, I do want to go see that badly. I'm going to see Formula One. Oh. Where? In, in Mexico City. Cool. Oh, that's fun. Who are you going with? A bunch of friends. Huh. So I'll need, I'll need to get to a point where I give a shit about Formula One by then. So I'll watch that Netflix show. I think that's what everybody does. Will you record the podcast from it? That would be great. Yes. We'll record a podcast from Mexico City. I have a lot going on next week. For instance, like on September 12th, I'm doing a webinar with Blue Conic and Jacob Donnelly from, and we're talking about AI and search. 
So I'm can not we put available. put some music behind us so people can know it's an ad? I'm not available, Ben. It's on 1 p.m. on September 12th. So we can't, we can't record that. Is it September 12th at 1 p.m. September you have a 12th. webinar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, if I forgot, where could I find the information? It could be in the show notes. Again, it's a webinar, but we're going to really make it better than a webinar. I don't like the term webinar, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Jacob yeah. Donald, he's my rival at a media operator. We're trying to do. Oh, like so there's going to be, are you telling me that there's going to be tension, storytelling, yeah. live? Yeah, oh, yeah, that yeah. sounds that sounds great. Well, that's good that you told us that. Thank you. No yeah, problem. I mean, J Jacob is a competent sort of documenter of operational things in media, but he's no Brian Morrissey. Yeah. Come on. Wow, well, that's that. Thank yeah. you, Troy. So okay. anyway, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. When are we going to get start getting ads? I think I'm coming around to ads. One last thing, that note that you got from that very thoughtful uh, Cynthia. commenter, Cynthia, thank you, Cynthia. I thought she made some really great points. I do think that the point do you wanna, of view- Do you want to go over- Brian, can, do you want to summarize it, Brian? That just that basically not everybody sees advertising or branded content the same way. It's Cynthia Myers. She's a historian of advertising, and she's also been professor of it. She talked about the death of the ad formats episode and how people perceive, particularly young people, perceive sponsored content or, or what ads are. And I'm not going to go into all the, the main points, but it was very thoughtful. But she said that Seb had one point of view. My son was on that episode, right? And he, she said that others maybe don't see advertising the same way. Yeah. yeah, especially younger people in other kind of... Well, the thing with advertising, everyone always claims they're not influenced by advertising. Every, every, and particularly young people. I mean, I think I bought these pants off Instagram, so... I love Instagram advertising. I gotta say, I love it. I would have to say that at this point, both Facebook and Instagram have become the biggest modern catalogs in the world, and their value proposition is largely advertising. Guys, have you have you tried out, and I think maybe this could be a good product, but have you tried out live TikTok? Dives yes, of course. That's where the psychotic, Alex. Fucking crazy. It's, it's like QVC for, for Gen Z. It's incredible. Or it's that's like QVC for crackheads. Why do you keep talking oh, about crack? I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading, I'm reading when crack was king book. Terrible year. Terrible. Yeah. Well, if you want to future, see the future of media, get on TikTok Live and try to understand what the fuck is happening right now, because that's what that NPC lady is, is doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex, yeah. do your do your interpretation of her. Hot dog, so good. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should do it, but people do it in all sorts of ways. So people will rate your pet name. So you text your pet name and they'll say, that's a nine out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10. That's an eight out of 10. And they'll write it out. Or some people will pay a little few cents and a person will live draw kind of their name in fancy fonts. And people mm. are making money off that. You know, the organic, the agency used to have everything that can be digital will be. And I think they were absolutely right. Troy had something to do with that, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, everything that can be monetized will be. And we were thinking about how do we get to these true micro transactions. And TikTok Live is is the future guys what's your pet what's your pet name just so i see when i see you on there alan i love pet names that are human names i have a neighbor here his dog's name is caroline and my wife and i find it hilarious that he has a dog named caroline just take it seriously yeah my, my next dog i'm calling dave <laughs> yeah. dave the dog it's great yeah. all right that that was good i think that was really good thanks guys that was coming out strong all we needed was a break a little bit of a fight thanks for listening Please follow us. 
please tell your friends to subscribe or please rate and review us. We'll read every review that you post on this podcast. No, Alex, will you make noises like those people on TikTok if you get reviews? This could be our monetization strategy. Mm, mm, review so good. Mm, five star, five star. Review so good. There you go. Just so that the audience knows, I'm also doing this in a bikini. 